listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Hey, it's uh, Tim Dugan. I am a videographer, video director, and photographer, um, and co-owner of Five Folds Creative, uh, a content production company, and uh, partner at Gems on VHS, a uh, YouTube media channel. And uh, you might know me from music videos I've directed for... um, Claire Dunn or John Langston, um, or maybe even appearances in some, uh, for the brothers Osborne. Um, and right now I've been trying to make myself finish a mini documentary about cockfighting that is shot in the Philippines. (laughs) Tim Dugan, welcome to the make it podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. I'm super excited about this. Um, just having spoken to you, uh, spoken to you in the past, and, and getting to know you better, and 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 having you sort of recommended to me uh, by a few people. Um, then doing the gonna, research. Gonna that is. Yeah. <laughs> then 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 doing the research um, on you just to to do this interview, I, I quickly found out and had the realization that, that you're the creative force behind many of the creative forces in, uh, in and around the South. And, um, that's quite an accomplishment, uh, my friend. So, uh, I'd love to, to jump right in. I, we, we can't, uh, avoid the obvious, which is we are in the coronavirus safer at home time. Mm-hmm. And I think every creative that's listening to this and that's out there, that's not listening to this is going through the same sort of, uh, questioning of what to do. And so I'm curious, um, how are you addressing first, how are you doing? And then with all this, and then, uh, how are you addressing uh, the limitations, uh, creatively, uh, um, what's your creative response to that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I've been, so I've been working from home, um, with my partner, Anthony Simpkins. Uh, he's been in the office, but, uh, we've been staying quarantined from each other. I had some work to finish, um, that we filmed before the quarantine, but as that's wrapped up, I've definitely been looking around and wondering a little bit what to do myself. Um, we've been learning live streaming. I spent a fair amount of time, uh, just practicing with that and picking up the tools of the trade there. Um, we've run one live stream so far, but we're, we're planning our next one with our, um, original content channel gems on VHS. So we're kind of diving further into that original content channel because that does still pull revenue. Um, with ad revenue and Patreon revenue. So might as well keep pushing that on the commissioned work side of things in like the commercial world. I've really honestly not been on top of it enough. Um, I'm going to be spending the next little bit really searching for people who need messaging in this, like to, to address the coronavirus issue that, that they need to, uh, a lot of people need new faces on their companies um, to at least temporarily note their safety precautions and things that they're doing or new procedures or potentially to train people, um, employees who are coming back as we reopen things in phases. So uh, I don't know. I've, I've, I've at least had some friends who I know have already done a fair amount of work in that space. And uh, I've been, I've been kind of, Honestly, just kind of uh, lazy about it. <laughs> yeah, <it's> a- <laughs> Not excited to find this, but I also know we're 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 going to be reopening for months, and things will continue to change. Um, 
as we as we change the restrictions on a pretty regular level. I mean, even just the federal guidelines being that there will be three phases of reopening the economy. Um, every industry is going to be different and require messaging throughout that time. Um, so we're just we're going to be looking for some of that in the hotel world and the service industries and anywhere we can find it and um, try and try and make a make a living there. Um, but for now, yeah, we've been really diving further into our original content and, and I feel lucky that we had a, an ongoing um, channel that was already pulling revenue that we could just kind of push a little harder into to hopefully um, combat the loss of advertising dollars out there in the world. Yeah, it, it, it's so fascinating watching how each business industry to industry is adjusting to um, the lockdown. And and really what you're watching is, is people ready and willing to work and mm-hmm. sort of making a statement about the value of their own liberty, meaning the the right to work. Right. And yeah. So, yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange idea of like, uh, should we, I don't know. There there's, there's plenty of reason not to, you know, start having like backyard barbecues. Cause we're not, you might be, you might feel like it's a necessity. Um, cause you're going insane, not having contact with enough people. Right. But obviously it's not truly a necessity. Um, and I don't feel like my work really is a necessity for society. I feel like it's it's nice <laughs> for society mm-hmm. to to have these things, to have video, to have um, things to watch. And obviously, uh, plenty of people have felt uh, thankful for um, plenty of TV to watch, even just Netflix to watch um, during this time, but. At the same time, it is hard to think like, am I, am I potentially doing anything wrong by searching for work that involves me going out in the world? But at the same time, I kind of just have to, because if I don't, I'm eventually I'll run out of money. Right. (laughs) Fine for now. But, uh, and, and I know a lot of people obviously that, that, um, work in our industry that are not fine at all. As soon as this happened, they were, they were already, you know, maybe they were getting started in this industry, or maybe they were just going through a slow time and mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of reserves and they're, you know, they're screwed. So I certainly wouldn't blame any of them for looking for any work they can. And, uh, yeah, we're in a position where it's like, yeah, you're going to expose yourself a little bit more, I guess, to, um, physical danger as well as I, I worry about not participating fully in this quarantine, but, uh, at the same time, yeah, i if I, if I create messaging for people to help reopen their businesses in a safe way, I feel like that I can justify at least. Right. And, and I think it's, it's an interesting way to look at, okay, well, what does the current culture, current zeitgeist need for me as a creative right now? And how can I provide it? You know, Nick and I, my, my partner, Nick at Bonsai, we have talked about and, and we'll have some indie talks coming out about just different ways to seize the moment because there's a 60 day window to be more profitable than you've ever been before and potentially mm-hmm. more successful than you've ever been before as a creative. If you can find where your talent in a particular niche collide and mm-hmm. you're seeing it all over, um, uh, in the restaurant business, you're seeing four star restaurants turn into delivery services overnight. You're seeing other businesses, uh, just try to wait it out. You're seeing food trucks start to work with HOAs. So mm-hmm. traditionally food trucks work with, uh, ordinances and, and businesses and, and different uh, sort of private owners to to park their trucks. Well, now they're working with HOAs to park inside of neighborhoods. So they're almost like the ice cream truck, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I'll be here at five o'clock if you want a cheeseburger. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of like a totally, but it's, I, but I, the, when you see something like that, you say to yourself, that's brilliant. And you don't, yeah. you don't care at all. And I, I think there is a safe way and, uh, to, to do it, Tim. And, uh, you know, what I said uh, earlier um, to Nick was um, there, 
the best way to uh, ease everyone's fears is to be very educated, not just on coronavirus, but all viruses. Just understanding what Mm -hmm. a virus is. How does a virus differ from a bacteria? What is it made of? How does it go from person to person? What is its virality rate? Knowing that Mm -hmm. stuff really calms people down when they think you should be wearing a mask or they feel like you shouldn't be out of the house at all um, or anything like that. Because I think you could probably do your job wearing a mask, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've we've thought a good bit about how we're going to um, conduct shoots now, and then and, you know, like not putting lavalier mics on people and just running booms like mm-hmm. for with shotgun mics. It's like that's easy enough, and just generally just disinfecting things and keeping distance and wearing a mask. It's like we can be we can do this pretty safely and with very little to no contact even with uh mutually touching things like doesn't have to happen very much if at all yeah and uh it can be done yeah i love it and so i want to go back a little bit back to uh the university of tennessee uh where you attended and and studied photography because you've made a couple of creative jumps in your career you started with this love of photography and then that jumped to videography. And now that's sort of jumped to being a documentarian. Um, and you keep building upon your repertoire. You do stop motion work as well. And there's just a, a whole array of, um, creative content that is sort of poured out of your, your heart and your, your mind and that people can consume and that people will see, uh, in the future. And so I want to start back there. Um, I'm curious, did you, did you ever have a a mentor in, in college, someone that you looked up to or helped guide you through photography? Uh, yeah, I mean, I really did Ending up at UT was awesome. I, I, I didn't I, I say I ended up there because I really did not plan on going to UT Knoxville. I um I started uh I started college at a little flight school in Daytona Beach, Florida called Embry Riddle Aeronautical, <laughs> learning learning piloting. Um, cause I, I wanted I loved planes and I, I right. thought that sounded reasonable. Um and the whole time I was taking photos and learning about photography and just reading, like reading long technical, like books about photography and wouldn't, I wouldn't like actually pick up my piloting books and study those instead. Can I, can I interject him for a moment? Yeah, sure. What, what are those foot? Do you know the name? Do you remember the oh, name of any of those man. photography books? What was it? I, one of them, I, several of them were like eBooks like that I had just purchased. Um, I don't know if they were really well known or anything. I, I kind of pulled my information was kind of hodgepodge from various places, but I remember just finding out a little bit about electronic sensors Mm -hmm. while searching for what camera I should buy and learning the difference between CMOS and CCDs. And then just kind of launching down a rabbit hole, um, and finding some book that, you know, explained what a Bayer pattern is and, uh, like all these different aspects of photography explained in a relatively technical way. I don't remember every bit from it, but it, um, it kind of helped me realize how interested I was in it to be like just spending my free time reading about like color filter patterns for electronic sensors and realizing like, this is what I can, I'm actually into this. Like I'm not, I'm not learning my checklists for (laughs) flying. And anytime I fly, I'm like, I'm five steps behind where I should be because I haven't been studying, but I have been working on something. Um, so eventually seems, seems pretty dangerous. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, you got an instructor. It's, you know, it, it's always fine. Okay. I got the landings and I just really sucked at landing. Um, I got about 35 hours. I didn't even get my private license. And, 
yeah, I think I had like my last five lessons were landing where I should have been. I should have been landing the thing by myself, but I did. It is a little dangerous because they start trying to not touch the yoke, mm-hmm. and um, I wa- I wasn't ready. I was doing a really bad job. Not a not a good pilot. I might go back to it someday, but. <laughs> so anyway, I ended up at UT just to go just to go to a large state school. I knew I knew a lot of people there growing up in Nashville, um, and it's cheap. And uh, luckily, I found there were two amazing professors there um, teaching photography. Uh, Paul Lee and Baldwin Lee. And, um, I did take classes with both though. I really felt, um, really connected to Paul Lee there. And, um, I think both of them really, I I came in loving photography that was kind of vapid, like, and without a lot of content Mm -hmm. that to speak of, like just that looked really pretty. Um, and that stuff's cool, but that's only one aspect and arguably the least important aspect of photography or even any form of creating visuals is just how pretty it is. I mean, that's a nice thing, but they really, um, did their best to just ask us why we were making the things we're making and get us to ask that ourselves every time we make something is stop and ask why. And it's not like you have to have a perfect answer, but that sets you in a different direction and you don't just blindly make things. You, you create like a a personal dialogue with your, with your work where it's asking you questions and you're asking it questions. Yeah. And I think you took that lesson really well. I would say that 80% of your Tumblr page is standalone works that, that belong like in an art show or in a frame on someone's wall. Um, you're, you're a really talented photographer. I I saw a piece where you uh, interviewed Joshua Black Wilkins. uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Who's also a photographer. And, um, he was talking about the nature of photos in a digital world and in an in in Instagram world, really, is what he was alluding to. Uh, do you think that we take photos for granted? And if so, you know, how, how do we fix that? Hmm. That's a, I, uh, I mean, I'd say yes, definitely. I mean, we, we, um, now that we all have, we're all photographers more than ever, you know, it was true. 40 years ago that most families had a camera around. Um, but yeah, it's now that we all really have a camera and a place to put those photos where we can try and get people to look at them. You know, I think that's the bigger change. Um, since that's happened, it, it is like more deeply woven to our lives than ever. And I do think we, um, don't necessarily, always recognize the power of them, but that might not be true for a lot of people. I mean, everybody, almost everybody, uh, knows what it feels like to look on a social media platform and like feel happiness or Mm -hmm. more likely feel like jealousy and, uh, feel like you're less than, I mean, obviously that's one of the bigger issues that social media has brought about is, is comparisons, uh, are even that much easier to make between you and other people, whether they're a celebrity or your friend or the popular kid in class or something like that. Um, so, I mean, we all know that with a little reflection, we all know we've, we've felt to the power of photography, um, and maybe the ubiquity of it, maybe we're taking it less for granted. Maybe we really recognize more of the power now than before. Yeah, it's really difficult to decide um, which direction this is going to go, right? If if Instagram takes away, which is on the way, I believe, if they take away likes and then even potentially take away followers, will the quality of the photos increase or de- decrease, I wonder? <laughs> it's interesting, yeah. I, I like the idea of taking away the like. Um, I mean, what, what, what it... it, it it's interesting because I think we we're, we're 
editing, obviously that's the other thing everybody has learned now with photography is not just how to take one, but how to edit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can sit in any public place in a non coronavirus time and, uh, <laughs> go to the, go to Centennial park, go to Broadway and watch, watch people take selfies. And if you sit there for five minutes, you'll find somebody who will take five minutes to take one selfie and they're going to take 250 photos. They're going to select one. And now they understand the power of editing. They understand that they can throw away 249 pieces and nobody will ever know. And they'll think that they took this photo on their first try. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, they're, they're editing because they, they're expecting feedback in the form of likes. So yeah, when you don't have that feedback, what are you expecting and who are you editing for? I guess you're editing for yourself or maybe just knowing that other people will still, uh, gain an understanding of who you want to present based on this, uh, group of images you've curated, but without the feedback, the, the loop breaks a little bit. So you, you don't, you don't, you may, you, you may feel freer to, to just edit based on your own joy and your own real tastes. But, uh, I would love to see that experiment in action. I guess they, did they do it in Australia already? They've done it. They've rolled it out. They've got some test markets going. I, I want to say globally, uh, mm. but just in test markets. And, and I think what you just said at the end was really that that's my take is that there will, the cream, uh, will rise to the top in the sense that those who are doing it because they are passionate about photography and editing will, um, still post and there'll be fantastic pictures, content. And, but those who were really there for the slot machine effect that social media uh-huh. gives you, they just will post less. I just think they'll, yeah. they'll be less. And it's funny because when I formulated that thought, when I first heard about this, uh, some months back is that, uh, <laughs> their business, I thought to myself, well, why would they do this to their business? And then I hit, and then I thought, well, they probably have some, um, data scientists telling them that if they take the likes and followers away, then their server space will be freed up by about 15%. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> but, they can, but they can play it as benevolent, you know? <laughs> yeah. They get the positive PR, the vast reduction in uh, web service needs. That's a, right. uh, <laughs> it's a good topic. You got, I some, mean, you got some good. Uh, you got some good ideas. I like this. Yeah. This is a. That's a. That's a funny thing. I haven't. I don't think I've thought that much about it. I heard they were taking away the likes potentially, but I don't think I really thought about what that's going to do the content. And I would think it's going to go up in quality. I would think. It yeah. seems unlikely that it that it would go the other way. Well, I think each individual piece will be more quality because like I said, you'll get the people who are the pros or people who want to be pros or the aspirational folks posting because they're, it it would be like Instagram day one all over again. It'd be like the chase Jarvis version of Instagram, uh, you know, where that was just for photographers, a place where photographers, it's kind of similar to what happened with musically and TikTok, right? Mm -hmm. Musically, you could argue was a better social network from the sense that, the the content that was created on there was created by people who have genuine talent mm. and should be seen and discovered. But, but because that is a, such a small subset of society, you know, how do you make your investors happy? Well, you create TikTok and make it about dancing and now anybody can use it. So they, yeah. they needed to free up musically so that anybody could use it. And there was a complexity to, to musically, right? Because you had to know how to, you had timing, you had to stack your voice. You needed to be able to sing, maybe play an instrument with TikTok. You just, you just turn on your camera and dance to somebody else's music. <laughs> I would say though, I'm not, I'm not a TikTok user. Um, oh, I won't, I'm shocked. I won't, I won't tell you my, uh, <laughs> my, my username. So you can't find my profile, but, uh, <laughs> I've, I have one so that I can keep abreast of what the hell this thing is that, um, people younger than me are using. 
Uh, <laughs> and knowing that like, you have to, I, yeah. I haven't, I haven't done any work on it yet, but, um, I know I'll create something that'll end up on TikTok, So I better have some clue what's going on. I would advise you to for, for sure. Yeah. And honestly, it, you should get it to it more, but, but yeah. what I was going to say is there's, there's, there is some incredible stuff on there. Like there, stuff. there is some creativity in the same way that, um, Instagram kind of opened up um, photography for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people became legit cell phone photographers as amateurs who maybe never would have had a love of photography. I think what I've seen in TikTok is the, the, the masses learning to video edit, like no the question. video editing capabilities of some folks with a cell phone kind of almost shooting, um, in a style that's like editing to tape, like when shooting on a DV cam are coming up with incredible stuff, things that are technically difficult, um, and just clever. And it's amazing. There's, there's almost this like, um, folk aspect to it too, where people are passing around a lot of ideas that get morphed along the way. And it's really, uh, it's, it's an incredible platform. I'm, I'm, blown away anytime I get on there by some of the cleverness that's right. available there. Yeah, I totally agree. And the, the higher the bar is raised on difficulty, the the more enjoyable it is actually. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, and, and so to me, just to be clear, uh, it's not that uh, social media, you know, at scale is uh, absent of incredible talent. No, quite the contrary. It has more talent uh, concentrated than anywhere else. But, um, from a business standpoint, you have to create an application that every person can use. And that's the key is that you don't want to make, if you, if you want your social media network to go viral and have network effect, it has to be something a five-year-old can pick up and use, but a professional could pick up and really create something unbelievable with. And that mix of, Simple enough for a child to use without instructions, but complex enough for a pro to use and get content out of is a hard dance to dance. And that's what TikTok has done. Yeah, they've done it well. I'll be interested to see how that platform continues to intermingle. Um, I mean, obviously, some platforms seem like they have they have limits that aren't absolutely everybody. I've never been a Twitter user. I don't think I ever will be a Twitter user. Um, That's too bad. Yeah, <laughs> I I feel more at peace with my life. I think without Twitter than uh, mm-hmm. my during my short experiments with it, and um, it, it's I think it draws in a certain type of person who's willing to interact with it a certain type of way. And obviously, every platform does that, um, where all of them are available to everybody, but they're not necessarily going to deeply embed themselves in everyone's lives. I think Instagram seems to be the broadest. Um, maybe that's just my, my generational standing, but no, I think it, I think it has to do with the, the iPhone. I mean, so yeah, and, and everybody Apple, understands Apple a picture push them and how to take a picture and how to share a picture and what you can get out of sharing a picture. Whereas there is still a learning curve to learning a dance or, um, creating a clever edit and making a short story happen in 15 seconds or 20 seconds. Yeah, no question. It feels like TikTok is really pushing Snapchat and Snapchat had already been pushing Instagram, which is why, why we have Instagram stories. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, you're right. It, it, each, each one sort of levels up the other one. And, um, and it'll be interesting, interesting to see where it goes. I, I still remember, uh, Steve Jobs unveiling the the first iPhone, which is now affectionately called the Jesus phone. And uh, because it really kind of there's before iPhone and after iPhone uh, in terms of the history sure. of cellular cellular devices. And at the t- at the time, if you had to put money down, you probably wouldn't have guessed that the camera was going to be the lead feature on every smart device yeah. made <laughs> and and. That convergence, that thing that happened, that that communal thing that we all want to share with one another happened, and it's been it's been fascinating to live at, uh, in the meat of your life, you know, during during this time. Um, you mentioned earlier just sort of learning about how to look at a photo. I'm curious, in your opinion, what makes a photo beautiful? Uh, that's tough. 
I'm a I'm a big like composition person, um, which doesn't necessarily mean anything um, following any sort of rules, but uh, just the interplay of lines and contrast and shapes and all these things um, sometimes make things just so pleasing to let your eye track around. I mean, I, I really like a complex composition that involves a lot of eye tracking um, where you can stare at this still image for, I mean, to stare at a photo for 30 seconds is, is uncommon for us. You know, most of the time we're, if we spend a lot of time on a photo, we're spending what, two seconds, Yeah, three seconds. That's when we paused to look at this thing. So to have something that could fascinate you for 10, 20, 30 seconds, um, can be quite an experience. And I think that's something that's interesting, uh, not to, not to keep looping around to the same conversation, but something I noticed, um, as Instagram became the norm was how simpler compositions were getting overall on average because of the size of the photo that we look at. Right. That you can't, I would, I would try and post these things that I had made that I had planned on. They, they looked great when I printed them 30 inches wide, 20 by 30. Uh, but and they looked great on a computer screen uh, when you have kind of a similar field of vision there as looking at a 20 by 30 print on the wall. But when you look at them on a phone, you could pinch zoom, I guess, but <laughs> right. you really can't, you really can't get a, uh, a, a feeling for space. You can't have this tiny object that you're supposed to notice a few seconds in is the third or fourth thing you notice the little tiny pedestrian in the background in a street photo where like all these lines converge to, but not in an obvious way, just when you stare at it for a moment, it just doesn't work on a phone. So I, I really, I really love, um, large compositions that take, uh, take a moment to kind of click through, um, your brain and, and, and actually you notice something after a few seconds. I really like that stuff in photography, but it's, it's just not really, um, it's not the time for it in on the internet anyway. Um, I've, I've been trying to get a few more things printed just to get things larger, but obviously you limit your audience a little bit there too, compared to just putting things online. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I, I agree with you. I mean, I saw a lot of pictures that you'd done where you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the composition, almost like the art design of the room was photo, you know, perfect and, and sort of, um, photo worthy. And then you add a subject to it and then it's like, Oh, this is what, what a great, what a great setup of the shot that, you know, this is. And, you know, a lot of filmmakers listen to this uh, podcast and, and, and would be filmmakers who are shooting music videos or shooting commercials to pay the bills while they work on their feature film, you sort of did it backwards. You dove headfirst into shooting music videos and commercials, and now you're trying to shoot a documentary and, and go into that cinematic space. So uh, I, I'm curious um, if you could, if you could give, um, some advice to, to a filmmaker that is, that is shooting commercials, um, and, and, and shooting music videos to sort of pay the rent. Um, you know, what would that advice be from someone who is two feet into that? Mm. I, I think, um, I would love to give advice from a place of like having, properly transitioned from that into like full-time docu documentary filmmaking or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> I haven't done that yet, but, uh, I do get more time now to actually work on projects that I like and to dictate a little bit more what I get to do. And I've always approached things from a say yes perspective where mm -hmm. any opportunity to learn is one that I should take. And that's something that I did get from, uh, 
my professor, Paul Lee, back in Knoxville, um, is when I, I sat down when I was ready senior year to kind of take off on my own. Um, shortly after, I asked him how he got to where he got, and that's what he said he did. It's just any time there was an opportunity to learn something new, he took it, and he didn't know where that was going to go. I think there's one one perspective is to kind of pick a place a flag way ahead of you on the horizon and and try and get there and tear down anything that gets in your way and any barriers and scale those barriers or whatever. But I'm more of the mindset that you should just say yes to opportunities to learn, say yes to opportunities to grow, and that you'll get somewhere pretty good with that. And I, I don't know where that's going to be. And that that most likely if you're if you're drawn deeply and passionately towards something, if you kind of work in that general direction, even if you feel like you're veering away from that, you're going to kind of find your way back there. And I think that is kind of what I've done where I loved documentary film. I didn't really set out to be a documentary filmmaker. I set out to be a photographer or videographer for hire in any sense, didn't care. And, um, I've just kind of got more tired of some of the things I was doing that I wasn't very good at. <laughs> Not a good wedding photographer. I can tell you, don't hire me for that. Um, <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate the honesty I can warn. I can warn everybody. I'm not, I'm not great at that. Uh, I don't, I don't think the people I did it for are deeply disappointed or anything, but, uh, but it's not my strength. It's not my love, but I've done it. And I've done it essentially just for money. And, um, that was fine, but there's the a, more, like a disclaimer in your contract that says, uh, you don't shoot love well. <laughs> I don't believe in love, so I can't shoot enough. Um, no, I, 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 I think I was happy to take any of those things, though, and I think I learned a lot of lessons from the wide range of work that I've gotten to do, from headshots to weddings to product photography to stop motion to mini documentaries to music videos, live performances, whatever, all that stuff, you pick up little lessons along the way that you're going to be able to apply to whatever that thing is that you really wanted to do because it's in the same realm. You know, even if the lesson is like learning how I had just had this type of client and, and now I've had this type of client too, and now I can compare and I can understand a little bit better how salesmanship works. Um, Right that stuff's going to add up and it's going to get you somewhere. And yeah, in my path, that meant that I'm kind of circling back around to where I can make a few more choices just out of having enough work to focus a little bit more on what I want to do. And uh, we actually are now making documentaries on our original content channel. And it's, it's, um, they're not exactly just me making whatever documentary I feel like, but I am technically making documentaries for money and they are to a large degree pretty autonomous. And that's that's pretty amazing to find yourself there when I did not plan on this being the method by which I would make documentaries. Yeah, it's 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 funny how you just keep going down the creative rabbit hole and then you end up where you end up and that's really where I wanted to touch on it. That's where I wanted to focus. So so uh you mentioned selling and 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 clients and because your path is so unique and as I mentioned before, most filmmakers try to dive first into narrative film and then end up taking contract work to to feed that. You did it the other way around. So I guess I'll pose my question in this way. Um, because you, you probably see it right away and can notice the difference between someone that has made the choice you made versus someone that hasn't. So let me put the question this way to you. Um, what are the biggest creative and, or, uh, business mistakes you see, uh, newcomers making in the same music video or, um, commercial or just videographer for higher space? Well, I can tell you, I, I feel like most of the younger folks I meet are reaching out to me, um, or not even younger necessarily, but just newer folks have been reaching out to me 
um, and they're therefore those are pretty proactive people. And I feel like I actually don't see them making that many mistakes. They're doing what I didn't do. I can tell you what mistakes I made was just that I I didn't I didn't plant enough seeds. I didn't understand this idea that when you want to be a photographer or a video director or whatever in that kind of creative space, at least half of what you're going to do is be a salesperson. That's your real job. You're a salesperson who makes visuals sometimes when they get to, and then you like also need to learn bookkeeping. Like it's, it's not, a, it's, it's, it, I, I, I always thought right before I went full-time freelance that I would never have problems with the motivation. I would never have problems with just working constantly because all I wanted to do is make photos. So if I could make photos all day, why would I have a hard time making photos all day? But you can make photos all day for nobody as much as you want. But if you want to make a living, you have to sell people photos before you made them. Right. So, so that's a great point. I, I really found a lot of mentorship from people who are not at all in the creative industry who work in real estate or other more like traditional sales spaces who, who taught me that idea, um, that, that you need to plant as many seeds as possible and know that they will need to be nourished and they will need to grow in order to blossom and fruit that you need to think of yourself as a farmer who's planning six months a year out and creating little places in the world where people are mentioning your name, thinking about you or otherwise passing you along. Um, because you never know sales are not just, you knocking on doors and and trying to present a logical reason why people should pay you money for stuff. They're also not you just making beautiful work and having people come to you banging on your door asking you for uh, for for work for hire. It's it's about having well I often say like our, our, our industries are, are so the visual industries are so opaque as marketplaces. There's, mm -hmm. there's not as much as people try. There are not fantastic directories where you can really understand what's available in the market and at what prices if you're a buyer. So the way people buy is very much based on trust. So they're, they're just going to buy based on a referral or, um, Otherwise, maybe they've been tracking you for a while. I've definitely had people who are like, yeah, I've been seeing your work for years. Who right. Me up years later. Um, and or I've heard your name before and I kept hearing your name occasionally. And then I actually looked you up. And, and it, at that time, I just happened to be in the market for some photography. And, and pretty much from my experience, the vast majority of buyers of, of visual work are considering maybe three people to hire or three entities right. at one time. There, there might be a hundred high, high level photographers or video directors in Nashville. And there's probably a lot more than that, but, um, they, they might over a day be able to pull a list of a hundred video directors in Nashville, but they're not going to do that. They're going to ask some friends. They're going to look at who they worked with in the past they're going to find some work that they really like and find out who did that. And you just have to happen to be one of those three people that they're thinking of when they actually needed work. And I think to do that, you've got to just kind of say hello, wave your hand um, regularly to everybody you can and remind them that you exist, that you're trustworthy and, and likable and easy to work with and, and that you, that you do pretty good work. I don't think you have to be the best. Um, I don't think you have to be in people's faces and have to be known, uh, broadly, but you need to keep a decent reputation out there and you need to just ping people and, and remind them over and over, uh, without being too annoying, I guess, but remind them that you exist.
Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. It, the same thing is true in, in film. Uh, when you really get down to the nitty gritty of what makes someone watch a movie and dedicate an hour and a half of their life to a film, it's almost always word of mouth. Uh, even if the person sure. that told them about it was uh, a bunch of reviewers that they don't know. Um, and, and we get that a lot in indie film where we say, Oh, such and such and such, such as, is, is, uh, and so-and-so is, is really supporting me or, or this whole town is supporting me. Well, are they telling people to watch it? And because, and, 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 you know, are those recommendations being heated? Because, um, you'll find out when you get your quarterly distribution report and sort of find out if, if anyone bought or, or watch your, your, your film. And so you can't rely on that, but that's, but, but understanding that's how people make decisions is, is really important because you can go out and then, and then pitch your own, own thing. Um, Tim, you, you've been so generous with your time. I, I just have a few more questions. Uh, are you still For good? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good, man. Awesome. I want to I'm touch a little this. bit. Uh, me too, for sure. Um, I want to touch a little bit on the things you've created up to this point now in terms of businesses, because uh, you have five folds creative and then you also have uh, gyms on VHS with, uh, with Anthony Simpkins and John Taylor. And, and I, um, I, I'm curious cause I look at both of these are, they're, they're great, great venues, great channels for, for anybody listening to this to, to visit. Um, and, and they're super popular, uh, over a hundred and a thousand subscribers on gyms on VHS. And I'm curious, what is it, uh, that people love about it? You know, what, what, what do you think is the reason it caught on? Uh, I have a theory, uh, that it really, there's, um, there is a honesty that exists in our, um, in our videos on gems on VHS, uh, just, you know, I'm going to assume anybody listening to this probably hasn't heard of it. Um, it's a series mostly of live performances by musicians, but we really try and create more of a, um, snippet from a documentary where we, we often record, People obviously they know they're being recorded, but we'll we'll record thirty minutes of actual conversation in mm-hmm. audio, um, yeah. and, and let people forget that they're being recorded. Um, and we'll try and really place people in places that feel genuine and that mean something to them. And we will um, really try and make sure the environment, uh, as far as like our the size of our crew and our attitudes towards it are very relaxed and very much, um, that it doesn't feel like a shoot. It shouldn't feel like business when we're filming these things. It should feel like we're hanging out. We really try to prioritize those things. And I think because of that, there is a certain honesty that comes through where the viewer hopefully really feels like they're sitting there with the artist. Some of the experiences I've had, um, where it's just me and Anthony filming or every once in a while, it's even just been me. A lot of them have just been Anthony. Um, sometimes we have a larger crew and it's me, Anthony, John, and one other person, but usually four people max. Some of those experiences were like actually doing a little bit of trespassing or, uh, <laughs> uh, hopping a fence or two. And, and we really are on a little adventure with this artist and just kind of, we're, we're, like compatriots for the day or at least for the couple hours that are, we're going to find our way onto this rooftop and, uh, feel a little bit like we're doing something, uh, I don't know, out of the ordinary. And, um, and some of those experiences for me have been like really incredible. I just, I have listened to the, the audio we recorded that night when I get home, cause I'm so excited to show it to my wife and just like, wow, this moment was magical. Like I just want to translate this to anybody else. And luckily we've recorded it. So hopefully we do translate just a little bit of that magical, honest feeling of not a, a, a shoot, but of just a, a moment recorded. Yeah. I, I, I've watched about uh, five or ten of these videos, and they all have a certain 
um, taste to them that um, really comes through. Uh, You've probably heard people say, oh, that's a really well curated page on social. Well, I would say that YouTube page is so well curated and so well done. Every video is different, but they all have a similar um, taste to them where they look like they belong on that same channel. And sometimes you don't see that you go to someone's channel and the videos look wildly different and it from stylistically color wise tone length, you know, everything about it is so, you know, wildly different, but, um, you guys do a a really, really great job. And, uh, I I can't wait to no, of course, and can't wait to see more, uh, that's coming out of this, uh, you know, out of your creative minds. Um, and I suppose that next thing is a cockfighting documentary. Are you pro cock or (laughs) or anti cock? (laughs) Uh, well, you know, uh, maybe I'm cock curious. Is that a thing you could say? Um, I, I I really, I I went, I, I don't know where that'll go. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll probably do a little bit of festival submission and Mm -hmm. see how that goes. And I might just put it on YouTube and see if anybody feels like watching it, pass it along on Reddit. Um, I, I went to a cockfight when I was seven years old, um, in the Philippines with my uncle. And just since then, anytime I've been back to the Philippines, I, I, I try to go to, to more. Um, I don't deeply support it. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm for it, um, but I'm not deeply against it. Uh, it's, it's in the very least, it's a fascinating thing to see. And it's something that I don't think is going to be around forever as, um, globalization continues there's a bit of a homogenizing and um not necessarily always bad but uh in this case i i just think this is something that is um it's fascinating to me because it's it's so it's so male it's so masculine Mm -hmm. and um i really i want to i'm investigating the question of like where where does that propensity for violence come from? Is it inherent in a man? Mm-hmm. Is it is it taught to men? Is that why men love watching these birds murder each other <laughs> with a giant knife <laughs> on them? Yeah. And um, I I don't know. I don't, I don't think this will answer that. But I think um, it it hopefully continue it sparks that curiosity in somebody else and they can see that and feel that and think about that issue and the idea and wonder themselves. And maybe that'll affect, um, some sort of positive change in their, whatever world they live in and whatever realms they, they work in. Yeah. You said it right. It's fascinating. I grew up, uh, down the street from a family that fought dogs, pit bulls specifically. Mm. And on one hand, I don't think it took a, a long line of logic to figure out the cruelty part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even down to gunpowder in the dog food and things like that. Ugh. But then the other side of it that was interesting is that these people, this family, they loved these dogs. They loved them. They were this, what it's all they did. So, um, I think they did two things. They built engines and raised dogs and they never hit the dogs or hurt the dogs. They fed the dogs. They were the family pets. Um, they brought in income. They were a part of the family. Uh, they, they were sad if their dog lost and was killed. They were, you know, it was heartbroken. It's human beings are infinitely complex. And so, uh, uh, count me in as, as one of the people who are going to watch your documentary and, and buy it and support it 100%. Um, just, a, just a few more questions. I had a, had a curious question for you. If you were, uh, stuck on an Island, a beautiful Island that had great, great ability for composition as you like. And, and, and so you knew you could shoot there, but you could only have a drone or a gimbal. Which one would you pick? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, 
and I'm just making whatever I want just for me. Right. You know, right. Yeah. You're on personal projects all day. I'm going Mm -hmm. drone, I think because of the, just the, the compositions I could make out of that, you know, with that, with that tool, I think are so much, uh, highly, more highly varied than, uh, the compositions I could make handheld versus gimbal. I'm, I'm not, I'm not as much of a movement guy. So, I'm going drone all the way. Drone all the way for Tim. Well, Tim, this has been (laughs) (laughs) an incredible conversation as I I knew it would be. Can can you tell everybody where they can find your work and and see your work on the Internet and on social media? Yeah, I uh, sometimes post to um, my Instagram. It's Timothy Ariel, all one word. Timothy, my name, and Ariel is my middle name, like the Little Mermaid. Um, And then uh, you can go to Fivefolds Creative or gems on VHS on Instagram. Those are all one word as well. Number five, F O L D S creative and gems on VHS, like a diamond on a tape. Um, and that's probably the best places follow, follow gems on YouTube for sure. Check that out. If you follow it on Instagram, you'll probably end up on YouTube. But, uh, um, yeah, I think that's the best places to keep in touch with me. Awesome. And everyone listening, please do that. Please support Tim and all of his works, his companies. He's doing great things out there and it's just sharing so much uh, inspiration really with the community. Um, Tim, one more question before you go. Uh, It it is uh, understood and rumored that you have walked barefoot across the state of Tennessee Tell uh, me. No, I had shoes on. I had shoes okay. on. Okay. <laughs> Someone told me you were barefoot across Tennessee, <laughs> and I said, I have to ask him about this. How did you, how did, how did this come to be? How did you, just walking across one of the longer states in the United States, uh, how, how did this come about, and, and why did you do it? Well, we made it extra long. We zigzagged. We went, we went from the southwest corner near Memphis to the northeast corner um, in Mountain City is where we ended. And we went um, we went eastward, but by bouncing north and south kind of between the borders of Kentucky and whichever state was uh, south of us at the time. Um, and yeah, I had two friends who who had worked on trails for years out west in Arizona. And they, they really had found themselves in some unique places in Arizona. And they, they had a conversation about it where they were saying like, we're in some places that it's so beautiful. And most people who lived in Arizona their whole life will never go to these places. And when they were thinking about it, they thought it's crazy. We've hardly been anywhere in our home state of Tennessee other than the cities we've lived in. And the three of us had lived in Chattanooga, Knoxville, Nashville, Murfreesboro, and Memphis between us, but hardly knew a place outside of those other than just gas stations off the freeway. Um, so we just wanted to explore. So they wanted to explore it. I, was in my first year of freelance um, photography and video, and I wanted to try my hand at some documentary filmmaking. Um, you can watch what I made, <laughs> what we made uh, on YouTube. It's oh, called the it. Tennessee Tennessee Walking Men. It's not great. It's fine. Um, it was a first project, uh, but it's it's an interesting series of vignettes of the people we met along the way. And we met a lot of strange, interesting people, the kind of people who are happy to invite three smelly men who are walking down the street into their home are the kind of people we met. Uh, so that, that could give you some idea. And that's the Tennessee walking men on YouTube. Yeah. Tennessee walking men like Tennessee walking horse, except we were men almost. (laughs) Uh, well, I'll, I will definitely check that out. And um, again, you've, you've been so gracious uh, with your time and, and so informative. And uh, this is this has been fun, Tim. That was it was a great time. I really appreciate you having me on. It was, it was a really fun conversation. Yeah, I hope we get to do it again. Uh, and uh, once this uh, safer at home period is done, uh, how about me and you? Uh, coffee, lunch, cocktail, whatever you want to do. 
That sounds great. Coffee, lunch, and a cocktail. I'm in. Oh, that, the trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> uh, co- coffee, lunch, a cocktail, and a cockfight. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's that's. We go the, to East Tennessee. We can probably find some. We'll probably be all right. Uh, have a have a good day, man. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Dude, be safe. Be good. Uh, great talking to you. Anytime. Peace. All right. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. If you do that, the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative be engaged. And thank you for listening.